Lord, it's a good day because you're on the throne and you love us and you work through us. And so we just want to celebrate today. And I pray, God, um, as we mentioned Father's Day and that it's not, uh, for some it's a celebration and for others it's more complicated. And I just want to pray for those, God, who, who it is more complicated for. Um, God, just that you in your spirit and in your fatherly love, that you would be so uh, present and near. Uh, to those without fathers, um, God, that you are our father, and that you love us, that when we, even when we stray, when we start coming home, you run to us, and you embrace us, and you put a robe on us and a ring on us, God. So we just celebrate that. Lord, I have two other requests this morning, God. I want to pray for July 4th. Uh, and just as we're outside uh, worshiping you, lifting up the name of Jesus, I pray that it would be a great moment for our community, God. Uh, Lord, that you would use it to um, just draw people to you or till the ground here in Blaine, God, uh, that you want to till. And then finally, I just pray as we look for a children's coordinator, we know there's a, a lot of young families connected here, God, and we would love to be able to serve them, and so I just pray that you would provide for us the right person um, to, uh, to fill that role, and that you would just uh, lead them, God. And so in all these things, God, I pray too, as we get into this message today, as we get into this tough topic, I pray, God, that you would speak, that you just surprise us, um, and that you would lead us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So yeah, last week we started a series called Big Questions, and we started getting into some big questions right off the bat last week. Uh, if you want, you can go back and watch the last week where we answered a couple big ones. And typically I preach through a book of the Bible, but it, this, this series I'm giving you the keys. I'm saying, hey, you take us uh, where, where you want to go. And it's been really good so far. I've really enjoyed just reading questions and knowing where everyone's at, like what people are wrestling with. And uh, today we actually have a question that that I feel is so big, we just needed to clear the slate for this question. We just needed to focus on this question today because it's so important and it really does affect all of our faith. It really does affect how we think about God and, and knowing like how is the Bible cohesive and connected together, you know, as sort of the source of our faith. So um, this question today actually is, is what many atheists would point to and say, this is why I don't believe in Christ. This is why Christ doesn't add up to me. Even the leading atheists of our time would point to this question or questions like it and say, this is why I can't believe in Jesus. And yet, the church doesn't really talk about this question enough. We don't actually wrestle with it enough. We kind of minimize it. Uh, we focus on the parts of the Bible we like better that talk about God's love and grace and faith. And, and, and we focus on Jesus, which is all important in what we should be doing. But it's also important that we wrestle with this question that I'm about to show you. And I believe that if we wrestle with this question, our faith will only get stronger and deeper as if we engage this and not ignore it. And so here's the question. Um, we're just going to go ahead and put it up there. It's long. Um, so sorry, I didn't give it. Okay. Uh, no, go back one, Evan. Go back one. That's the statement. Okay, so here's the question. Uh, okay, go back one more, Evan. Sorry. Okay, there we go. 
Um, as I'm reading the Old Testament each day, I'm finding myself shocked and horrified at the brutal violence and killing, which seems to be in stark contrast to the love and compassion shown by Jesus in the New Testament. Next slide. It is hard to conceive that the God who approved of this in the Old Testament is the same loving Father described by Jesus. How do we reconcile this? How can I read the Old Testament text without feeling put off to God? So you see why I cleared the slate for today? It's a big question. I appreciate this question. I appreciate the honesty in this question. I'm sure some of us have had this question in the past, maybe not worded this way, but still like, what is going on in the Old Testament? Why does God approve of violence or even directly influence violence in the Old Testament? Because the truth is, is he does. He does. There's a thread throughout it. If you go through scripture, it starts with Noah, right? And it said that the world had gotten to a point where it was so wicked, so apart from God, so evil that God decided to flood the earth but save eight people who believed in him. Uh, it goes to uh, God battling for his people under the leadership of Joshua, um, you know, with the conquest of the land, killing and driving out other nations there. We see God involved in the battles of the kings, uh, constantly at war with the surrounding nations, but then we also see God war against his people when they become evil. Uh, when they go on the other side, we see God judge his own people, the Israelites, and he joins and empowers the Assyrians and Babylonians to battle against them and defeat them. So we have all of this in the Old Testament, and then we have Jesus show up as a little baby, right? We have Jesus show up as a little baby, and he changes everything, right? He's meek. He's humble. He's gentle. He tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He says that if someone slaps you on one cheek, you should turn the other to, to them as well. So you see these two different pictures, and I get this question. How does this compute? How does this add up? What is going on here? And before I answer the question, I just if, if this is a question that you have and other uh, questions with the Old Testament, I just wanted to recommend a book to you um, that I read and I, I really liked. It's very like short and concise, which is good for me, um, but it's called Confronting Old Testament Controversies. Uh, you can take a picture of this later. I'll leave it here, but it's called Confronting Old Testament Controversies by Tremper Longman. So it's a great book. Um, so, I want to just say by, by uh, start by saying this, is that the violence of the Old Testament shouldn't make us comfortable, right? The violence of the Old Testament should make us uncomfortable. We should be uncomfortable when we see violence. And I would just say that the Bible isn't always supposed to make us feel good. It's supposed to show us what's true. And so that we get right with God, that we come into right relationship with God. And there is some jarring stuff in the Old Testament. We see uh, God's wrath, God's judgment poured out on those who oppose him. And we shouldn't be desensitized to it. We shouldn't read that and be like, oh, okay, you know, just kind of pass through. Like, it should jar us a little bit. But we need to figure this out. What does it mean when God is the one initiating that? And I think that if we, the church, we fail to address this, 
then we're failing to teach something that's vitally important for us to understand about God. Because I'll be the first to tell you that God is love, that God is mercy, that God is forgiving, that God is the giver of new life, and that what we see in Jesus is who God is. I fully believe that, that in Jesus we see God, God's heart on full display. And so before we get into all of that stuff in the Old Testament, let's just reaffirm what we already know about God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, uh, only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So this is important because you need to know that God loves the world that he created. God loves the world he created. God loves everyone in it. He loved them enough to send his own son to die for our sins, to save us so that we could be reunited to God. There is no barrier between us and God. And that Jesus, the son of God, was willing to die to make that happen for you. But we also know this. That if there's good news, that means there was also bad news, right? Before there was good news, there was bad news. Because without Jesus, the world was left condemned to die for their sin. And our sin is that bad to God. Humanity is that corrupt in the eyes of God. And so here's the vitally important thing that we need to realize about God. It's this. It's that God is at war against evil. God is at war against evil. God isn't neutral when it comes to dealing with evil. He's not complacent. He doesn't shut the blinds or change the channel. God was at war against evil in the Old Testament. God is at war against evil in the New Testament. And God is at war against evil now. And he'll be at war against evil when he returns. And I want to go back to a passage in Exodus. This is after God um, defeats the Egyptians at the Red Sea, after he parts the sea, and they go across, and then the water closes in on the Egyptians, and God's people who are left helpless are suddenly saved by this act of God. And this is what it says in Exodus 15. It says, this is what Moses sings. It says, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. So what do we see here? Like, the Lord is a warrior for his people against evil. The Lord defended his helpless people. The Lord defeated those who were mighty in their own strength. And the Lord is God, so... He is righteous in his judgment. Let's look at uh, verse 12. It says this. It says, You stretch out your right hand, right hand, uh, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people that you have redeemed 
In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will fear and tremble. So we do see that in the Old Testament, God is a warrior who takes on evil head on. He fights for the, the faithful. It says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. So he's leading his people. And it says, when the surrounding nations hear about the power of God, they won't want to mess with it. That they will fear and tremble. That they will be afraid to oppose him. And I just want to say this because it's so important is the Lord isn't a warrior just for a nation. It's not about uh, ethnicity. It's about evil. Because every time that those people stray, he sends another nation to take them over, right? So it's all about evil. And that's why we see God oppose Israel when they disobey and they go to, to attack, uh, or they go and attach themselves to foreign gods. That's why you see God send Jonah out to the Ninevites, who the Israelites considered to be barbaric. And he sends Jonah to this Ninevite town of 120,000 people because he cares about them. The last statement in the book of Jonah is that he cares about them. It also has that cattle thing that I talked about last week. <laughs> but Jonah didn't want to go there. Why? Because Jonah was ethnocentric. God wasn't, but Jonah was. It actually took Jonah three days in the belly of a fish to get on the same page as God in that equation. And I'll just say this. When I was young in my faith, I was confronted on this issue that we're talking about a lot. Like, I was confronted. People would bring their Bible to me and say, look at this. How do you explain this? And I can say, like, at the first time I, was, I felt stuck. I felt like I had no clue. And so I dug and I dug and I dug, and I found this passage, and this passage helped resolve some things for me. There are still some things, there are still some passages that I, I won't understand. I don't understand. There's some passages uh, with, with violence in the Old Testament that I just have to say, God, I, I have to trust you with this. I wasn't there, but there's enough I know about you to trust you. And this is the passage that sort of confirmed for me this idea of what God was really against. And it's Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6. It says, after the Lord, this is um, God talking to the people when they're about to take the land. It says, after the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are, gonna t you are going in to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he repeats it. Understand then it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess for you are a stiff-necked people And this got it pretty real for me It's about the wickedness of others and that's how this was addressed in the Old Testament God does not is not acting because one group is inherently better than another group That's not what it's about He's acting to accomplish his plan for good, that good would break into the world. And for, through a people that will struggle and fail to be faithful to him. 
I mean, if you read the Old Testament, it's all about Israel failing again and again and again. And through this messy story, God will defeat evil. And we see in the book of Judges that when the Israelites start following the ways and the practices of the surrounding nations, like that they fall into, um, they fall into uh, just the same evil that, that they're in. And at this time, um, there, these other groups were uh, worshiping gods and goddesses that practiced um, like degrading sexual rights, um, family members serving in prostitution, child sacrifice. Like it was ugly. It was ugly. And God didn't want his people to mix with that. He wanted there to be separation there. And so God's war against evil at this time was against flesh and blood, people who were living actively against him. He wanted to drive out the evil influence of, of the surrounding people so that he could begin to establish a people that might make him God, that might make him Lord. And that would, glory would not be realized until Jesus came, sort of preparing the way. So, what we learn through the Old Testament is this, basically, is that God has a will, and it's good. Mankind has a will, and it's evil. And God is at war with evil, but he wants to save mankind from it, right? He wants to save us from evil, and then we have Jesus. We have Jesus show up. And so here's the question that was made was, or the statement that was made is that it was hard to conceive that the God of the Old Testament, who did approve of violence in these situations, is the same loving father as described by Jesus. How do we connect this? How do we reconcile this? I think if we understand that God is at war with evil, it actually helps us. It actually helps us to understand because Jesus was part of that. What if Jesus is the unexpected hero in this battle? What if Jesus is the unexpected hero in the war? You might know this about me, you might not, but my family loves the Lord of the Rings. We're big, uh, we're big Hobbit fans, read all the books. Um, I was Gandalf last Halloween. We all dressed up. I mean, we're into it, okay? And the, the brilliance of the story, uh, to me, the brilliance of that story is the hobbits. Like, it's because they're the heroes that are the smallest, the, the weakest, but yet they're the ones who are able, as all these different, you know, strong groups are warring, they're the ones who are able to sneak into Mordor and destroy the ring of power, right, and bring uh, everything... Uh, crumbling, right? All the evil is gone forever. They were sneaky, you know? The hobbits were sneaky. No one realized that they were the hero. The enemy didn't know uh, what he was up to. I know that Frodo's not Jesus. I'm not saying that. Um, but Jesus coming into the world was also sneaky. Like, it was sneaky. Israel is expecting more of the same. A, a, a powerful, thundering savior who's going to uh, vanquish Rome, stomp out God's enemies, and God sends them a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Here's how you win. This is God's plan to defeat evil for good. 
the entrance of the Son of God, who it says in Philippians, humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, not a warrior, is the twist in God's story. It wasn't just a twist. This is God in the flesh. Jesus is God's heart and personality made known to the world. Jesus is God's gift, main gift of love to us. And Jesus also came to usher in a kingdom, right? He said the kingdom is here. The kingdom wasn't back there in all the mess. The kingdom is here. And how is a kingdom established? It's established through battle, but this would be a different kind of battle. This would be a different type of battle. This would be a battle of the heart. This would be a spiritual battle. And Jesus would defeat evil once and for all on the cross. He would free us from the bondage of evil. And at that moment, when Jesus died, he changed everything. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live my, uh, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, this is an important line for what we're talking about. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Christ made it possible for us to be good, to, to, for all of us to be good. Christ changed the way the battle was fought, because the battle isn't external, it's internal, right? He changed the war against evil, because the war against evil is not out there, it's right here. It's right here for you and for me. The war against evil is not, no longer, it's not flesh and blood, Paul says we regard no one in the flesh anymore. It's all about the soul. This battle is fought at the soul level. Everyone is someone that Christ died to set free. And so if anyone comes to Christ, they're no longer chained to evil. They're set free. They're a new creation. And so Jesus shifted the focus of the battle. And so us as Christ's followers today, we're supposed to go after the hearts of people. We're supposed to be changed here and then go after people's hearts. And it says the love of God compels us to do that, compels us to reach out. So it continues on in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, For we live in the world. So for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The battle's changed. The battle has changed. We don't fight with our fists. We don't fight with guns. Paul says we don't wage war like the world does. Instead, God gives us what? Spiritual power, spiritual authority to demolish strongholds, literally spiritual forces of evil. God gives us that power over our own life and over our community. 
God gives us that power. Like, he's saying you as a Christian literally have the power to take Satan's territory. Does that make you want to pray a little different? That makes me want to pray different, right? It makes me want to pray like trusting the authority of God, that he is working through us. And God has given us that divine power. And what are we fighting against? We're fighting against these strongholds, but also we're fighting against arguments and pretense. I really like that word pretense. There's a lot of pretense against God in the world, and it's our job to remove people's arguments against God. Not just through what we say, but how we live. Like if someone sees you really following Christ, they're going to know there's something real about this. Like if I want to know something's true, I look for the fruit of it. Like, okay, what kind of fruit is that producing? If it's good, that's good. If it's not, then there's something off, right? And so God has given us this power, and the battle's not only there. He says it's, it's in our own thoughts, right? We fight the battle here. So if you're fighting, if you're trying to submit all of your thoughts to Christ, that means the battle is all day, every day. You take the battle with you wherever you're at. You take the battle with you to work, and you could take the battle with you to every family gathering, every uh, situation you're in. He's saying, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So this is our primary battle, the head and the heart. This was not going on in the Old Testament. And think about how many thoughts you have in a day, right? I mean, that's a lot of thoughts to fight every day. Three? <laughs> Right on, man. <laughs> That's good. I think I, I think I have like three, two, what? 60,000? Okay. Well, it, there's a big range, you know? Just a big range. Um, but we're, we're in the battle everywhere we're at. I and mean, we have to ask ourselves, are we taking every thought captive? Are we submitting every thought to Christ? And then we have to ask, are we tearing down walls for people to follow Christ? Or are we building them up with the way that we live? Are we sharing our hope that Christ can set us free from ourselves, which we all need freedom from ourselves? Are we praying? Like the battle that we have is today and every day. We are in it. And Jesus changed everything ab about the way we fight evil. So just like he gave his life to win the battle, so also we give our lives to win the battle, right? We lay our lives down. And one day, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, both as our Savior and also as judge. Like, if you read Revelation, you'll see that the battle is spiritual and against flesh and blood in Revelation, before all of this is put to rest, and we're with God forever. And I know this can be hard to digest. I'm giving you a lot and a little. I know it can feel off-putting, but I want to challenge you. Has your picture of God been too safe? Has your picture of God been too safe? Because God is at war with evil, and he wants us to join with him in that. You know, I think for many of us, we like neutral, right? We want to stay neutral. It's comfortable. Uh, we can block out the, the battle going on. We can, we can make everything okay. But God is saying, hey, wherever you are, whoever you are, you are in a spiritual battle. 
And we live in a safe place to be a Christian. Not all of the world lives in that same safety. I was reading about a uh, Kenyan truck driver who was driving near the Somali border and a terrorist group took him out of his truck and basically asked him if he believed in Jesus. And when he said yes, they shot him. And this was recent. He had a family. But the, the guys who were with him caught his quote and he said, his name was Paul, and he said, if you want to kill me, I will remain in Jesus. And if you let me go, I will remain in Jesus. Confidence in Christ's victory. Once and for all. Confidence in Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves that question. Like Paul, are we willing to lay down our lives for Jesus? Are we that confident in Jesus' victory over evil and death? Because we need a God who isn't passive, but active, who is at work, who's not sleeping. We need a defender and a refuge, and one we can trust when the world takes everything away from us. And we know that the battle has been won, and that is the message of the cross, that Christ has defeated evil at the cross, that we can be saved, that everyone everywhere, anytime, can be saved. And that Christ will enable us to forgive those who have wronged us. That Christ will give us peace when uh, spiritual attack is, gets greater and greater. That Christ is our hope of glory and that one day we will see him. Um, I just want to close with one more story. I, I uh, had a friend that passed away this week. Uh, some of you may know uh, Mike. Uh, he was the founder of Wild Bird Charity. He invested a ton in this community, very active um, in Blaine. And three years ago, when we were planting this church, he became a good friend, a, an advisor, um, and just spoke some really powerful words over me. And um, this Monday, um, I got a call that Mike had gone into the hospital. Nobody knew uh, anything in that um, to check on his heart and what they found that his heart was like actively deteriorating and so um, I tried to make it in to see him Tuesday they kept him at the hospital he was so popular I couldn't get in <laughs> on Tuesday there were so many people there to see him but I got in Wednesday morning and I made it just at the right time I was able to have a few minutes to talk with him and I just got to thank him for those words that he spoke over me I got to pray with him and just, but what I'll, I'll never forget is just the peace and confidence that Mike had. He just had a ton of peace. He just was completely confident that, that God was going to continue to work what he started here in Blaine, and he knew where he was going. That, play, that peace is irreplaceable in the face of death. And I knew that my friend Mike had every, confident in, every confidence in Christ's victory. So I left feeling encouraged, and um, I got a message later that night that he had passed. But I had this message, like, or I just had this moment with him where I knew, like, it was okay. Like, he knew where he was going. And I want all of us to share that, that uh, confidence, that confidence in Christ's victory, not ours. That's what can, make, that's what can help us in the face of any trouble. And so I want to encourage you. I, I know this is a tough topic. We could probably do a series on this. Maybe we will someday. Because I feel like I just went at you with a fire hose. So 
Sorry. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Um, but I just want to encourage you, when we look at these passages, we're going to be tempted sometimes to feel like saying God is not good. But what we should say is that God is God, and I know God is good, and because of that, I can trust him, uh, even when I don't understand everything. And ultimately, I know that Jesus has died to set us free from evil. Let's pray. Lord, I know this is uh, a, a heavy topic, God. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would just give us every confidence in your work throughout Scripture. God, there are going to be some things that we don't understand. There are going to be questions that we have. But I know that our questions can either pull us away from you or draw us closer to you. And I pray that it would be that, God, that we would actually draw closer to you because we've wrestled with the, these things. Also, God, I pray that you would help us to understand the battle that's around us, to understand that we're in a battle at a soul level every day. God, you've called us to take every, every thought captive in our hearts. Anything that's not of you, we need to submit to you, God. Or every thought that we think is good that we have, we're supposed to give to you uh, to refine us. And so I pray that you would do that, God. And I pray, God, that you would just reaffirm our connection to you, Lord, that we know we are saved from this, that we can be good because you are good. And Lord, we just trust in that, in Jesus' name.